etc., etc., with young Southpaw. That's moi. Me, if you ain't got your French tongue on. This is episode number 13. Woo! I'm psyched, man. Hedvig Molestar is my guest today, and she's my big musical discovery of this year. About 10 days ago, Liam from the Pinchin' in Public podcast, you know, I had Bo on a couple episodes back. Well, Liam emailed me the words, you seem like the man for this. Pure jazz metal genius from Scandinavia. And then he sent me a link to the Jazz Journal review of Hedvig's new album, Echidna. And I put it on, man, and I found a, I just couldn't stop listening. I kept playing it for like hours. I love it. I've been picking up her albums one by one, you know, so I could spend proper time with them. There's a whole bunch of stuff up on her SoundCloud. Great selection of tunes, man. Just search for Hedvig Molestar Trio. Killer rock riffs and grooves. Her playing is phenomenal. It's billed as jazz, but it's like that early 70s jazz when it started mixing with rock, you know, like when John McLaughlin was playing with Miles, and we talked about McLaughlin a lot too, so so let's get to it. All right, we're here today with Hedvig Molesta. She has also donned her sunglasses, which is excellent. How are you doing today, Hedvig? I'm doing just fine. Thank you so much. Excellent. Well, I thought we'd get to the important questions first. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Eddie Van Halen? I mean, without Eddie, where would I be? Where would any of us be? Probably the same place I am today. Oh. Because, yeah, uh, uh, it might feel like Eddie Van Halen has a big place in my life when you listen to my records, but I started out listening to people playing very slow, L- like Jim Hall. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And Joe Plus. And it was just later that I kind of started to listen to guitarists playing faster and Eddie Van Halen he is absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. uh, but he hasn't I'm, I'm maybe a kind of a not the typical guitarist person but I have very many other guitarists that have meant very much more to me than Eddie Van Halen although I love him tell me about those guitarists then uh, Jim Hall Okay, I mentioned him but he's he's not alive anymore though but do you do you are you familiar with him? The old jazz guy, right? Yeah, yeah, jazz musician. And he was my father was a trumpeter, or he is a trumpeter, or he is alive, but he doesn't play the trumpet anymore. But he <laughs> listened a lot to jazz music, which was a which was a, was what was I was listening to when I was a kid. And he had records with trumpeters playing with guitarists, like Art Farmer. He was playing with Jim Hall, and Jim Hall has a sense of melody. That is just, I can't, I cannot believe that it's possible, you know, because jazz musicians, they play all these chords and it's kind of complicated and they change the harmonies. And the hard thing is to find a good melody that kind of ties it all together, even though everything changes. And he managed to do that. He can play so slow over the most crazy chords and still make it a, a melody that is possible to actually sing. Mm. And that kind of quality was much more uh, f- uh, fascinating for me than the people playing fast, where it was just a lot of, 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 a lot of tones that I couldn't actually kind of separate from each other. Hmm. If that's, yeah. So he was uh, important to me in that way. I mean, he also played fast and he also had technique, but he, he was kind of sparse and he was more into that melody. The, or I can hear more melody in what he's doing at least. Hmm. 
Well, that's what I always loved about Eddie is that he was very fast, but he had a great sense of melody and also a phrasing. It wasn't your typical, right? Some of the solos have sort of jazz phrasings in them, like Hot for Teacher, that solo. But what I always loved about Eddie was, yeah, that sense of melody, which he often gets lumped in with other guitars who play fast for playing fast sake. But mm-hmm. I think he's a cut above them. Many cuts. How many? Probably about a thousand. <laughs> I love it. Is he is he on top? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- there is none above. Ooh. I I ooh. Ooh, for me, yeah, probably you? Eddie Van Halen and John McLaughlin, Johnny Marr, maybe John Squire. I love that first Stone Roses album. In a pop context, he's an amazing guitar player. This is interesting. How what do you how do you feel how do you feel about how do you feel about John McLaughlin way uh, through music his career I mean where he started and where he has ended up now There's or so... where he is at the moment Yeah I, I listened to that new record he put out what a couple months ago maybe I maybe. enjoyed it I mean my favorite stuff of John McLaughlin's is those Miles albums those Electric Miles albums uh, tribute to Jack Johnson Oh, I could listen to that forever. Mm-hmm. Just a uh, just wonderful playing, and of course, mm-hmm. Bitches Brew and uh, Live mm-hmm. Evil and all those. Mm-hmm. Th- that for me is my favorite type of music. Mm. Live Evil and Bitches Brew, to me also, is just uh, that's kind of de- defining uh, what you have to try to avoid to uh, to kind of uh, because you can never be close to how good those records are hmm. so if you try to play that kind of music it's really hard to avoid those references i yes. think it's really 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 hard because it can never be that good and still it's so fun when you get into that kind of place with musicians mm. uh, yeah absolutely but what, what something that i found very very fascinating with john mclaughlin because he is just a machine like his technique is talking about fast but he has his own way of playing fast it's just it's very accentuated and it's like very in a kind of a very pentatonic based uh, like position ish but still it's suddenly it's not and and i think i've been thinking because the the, the marvishnu records has this thing to me that i think is absolutely Something that I'm I'm still listening to when I uh, listen to them, and that is the sound, the guitar sound. Mm. It, it's wrenching and it's roaring and it's in your, it's almost inside your face because it's so close. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but and and to me that that is one of the things that I really cherish with those things, and and also the the the, the sound of the drums. It's the kind of the same. It's just a person going crazy hitting. And they are playing these extremely kind of hard things to fix, and they hit the same place. Yes, and it sounds amazing. <laughs> I can't believe it. The, the the one that is called "On My Way Home to Earth," mm. the Narada Michael Bolden, and the, and where he starts off in the the, the last song on the etern- on the um, eternity no on the vision of the beyond. Yeah. It's just one of the, that's one of the tracks that I can. Uh, if I would have to listen to one thing for the rest of my life, I, I, I could have listened to that and possibly, probably found 
interesting things each time or just being amazed by that guitar sound. Mm. And I think to me, that is one of the things that I can, I kind of really admire with the early McLaughlin uh, uh, music, but that is completely gone. Mm. Now that sound and uh, that fury. Yes. And we, I, and I kind of, but I, I have I have forgiven him for that because it's but he seems but I mean his playing is so it's so positive and he's he's so just he's so good he doesn't care about sound he just cares about playing I, I think and that is very pure and very kind of I admire him for that mm. but that but he left his amplifier somewhere in the <laughs> on the two thousand somewhere and if I find it I will use it oh you better. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, and we we actually warmed up for him when uh, once in London. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about it was. It. Yes, I will tell you about it because this was in 2014, and uh, that was I had just uh, uh, found out that I was pregnant. Oh. And then this guy from London Jazz Festival called and said, "You really should come and open up for John McLaughlin in." The Royal Festival Hall. Wow. And all I could think of was that I couldn't, I, I have to just get this done. I need to do this show. And it was, it was absolutely possible because it was three months away from my due date, or what it's called. But this happened, I, during, this was in, I think they called in the, in August or something. And this was supposed to happen in November. And one and a half week before I was going to London, I had an appendix. Oh, that just so it was kind of complicated because I was in the hospital and with the, quite a big belly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they didn't know because they they called to, try to, uh, to ultrasound it and they couldn't see it and there was just there could be anything, mm. and then suddenly they just oh, we have to go in. We are going in, <laughs> so they kind of fixed that appendix while I was in uh, drugged out. And uh, but everything went very very smooth, and the child was born uh, three months later. But that that was one week away from that uh, McLaughlin show, and I was like I was communicating with them, of course, uh, and just like. And uh, when I was uh, when I kind of they f- understood that this was going to their right way, then I had to talk to the doctor, and she said, "No, I would not recommend you." to leave Norway Mm. and I I started really crying and I said I have to go this is this is probably the most I I was crying and I was talking so much about how great uh, such a great guitarist John McLaughlin was and she said I would definitely recommend that you go because if you don't go you will most certainly lose your mind so she just uh, sent me uh, on that plane and I was um and I, I managed to warm up for John McLaughlin in, Amazing. in in London in 2014. And he touched my belly and he said, it, uh, this is going to be a girl. And I really want, it was a girl. And I wanted it, I wanted to, for some time I wanted to call her Maya after Maya's uh, dance or Maya's. Ah. Uh, yeah. But um, she wasn't called that. She was called some old Norse name instead, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no. of, of Norse, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah but that was very interesting because on stage he such a sweet calm guy wearing a pink t- a pink shirt 
on stage and no amplifier. He was just plugged into the DI and I heard himself through the monitors. I kid you not. Wow. It was very fascinating. And it was Gary Husband, I think, on drums and some piano and Etienne Lebap. Is that his name? On the bass. Okay. So he, so he's kind of he kind of brought his musicality and his fantastic. Uh, I mean, he's got so much. He's bubbling with ideas and playing joy, but he left his amplifier. I can't believe he just went straight into the board. <laughs> he went straight into the board. Wow. Yep. Oh man. Blah blah blah. I'm so sorry. I just started. To, yeah, I was talking a lot. No, would you like to say? Would you like to say something too? <laughs> That's the point of an interview. Yeah, I got a few <laughs> things to say. Uh, we we're talking about uh, the visions of the Emerald Beyond album. That mm. the riff to Eternity's Breath is probably oh, my favorite riff ever. Mm. It's absolutely fantastic. It's uh, yeah, and it's very when you play guitar. You play, is it guitar you play? Yes. I mean, when you are sound checking or when you are, you hit very often that A string. <laughs> So it's very, uh, it's, I think it's very nice when you kind of play those things in on dong, ding, gong, and then the band. Just ba ba di da di la di do. Go That's very fun. Finished. Yeah. Sound checking now. <laughs> but I also lo- I like the I like the Jeff Beck um, version as well. I'm not sure. I, yeah, I've, I've heard it, but I've, yeah. I always listen to yeah. the original. But I will listen to it again. Cause... And again. Yeah. And again. So who were the, what inspired you to want to pick up the guitar in the first place? In the first place, I picked up the guitar when I was about 10 years old. And that was because my mother had a guitar at home. Okay. So, and we also had a piano. So I was just playing a little bit of piano and a little bit of guitar. So it was, it was just the, the, uh, the availability of the instrument and not kind of a musical experience that made me start to play. Ah. There, there were just music instruments around, so I kind of just played piano and learned something, and I played the guitar and learned something, and just continued it to do it. And it took—I was—I I was never like this kind of a kid that I'm going to be a musician and only that. Oh. It took really—it took a long time until I realized that that was possible and that I really, really wanted to do that. You studied literature as well, right? Yes. Ah. I, I started uh, after I went to after went to is it called high school or the last school you have? Yeah, to high school. <laughs> then I had the one year. Then I had one year at, at this kind of school where you. I don't know what you call it, folk high school in Norway and in in, in Scandinavia. We have plenty of it. Everybody goes one year after before you start your education, just to learn something. You don't get grades. You just get to live at some remote place with other kids your age and do something that you're interested in in sounds great it's very great and this one one of these schools is called soon Folkeskola, and that is just uh, they have jazz a jazz line for jazz so you can go there and play music and rehearse and hang out and go to sh- concerts and be inspired and listen to music and i went there for a year and after that i went to the university in oslo to take musicology which is kind of the boring side of music <laughs> learning music history and very kind of it's like reading about music uh, did, did like, was there any van halen in that curriculum i mm, uh, maybe they had just got this kind of pop music history 
So I remember, I remember one of our teachers had us uh, analyzing the river by um, memories come back to haunt me. That was kind of what you learned about. And that's yeah. the highest tone in that song. Haunt me. That was kind of the pop history. Uh, but it wasn't all Van Halen course. That would be great. No, because this is musicology. This was about to be classical music. So they didn't want any popular music. And if you was going to rehearse something rhythmical, you had to go in the basement. <laughs> so the classical the classical people, went. they had the sixth floor. But we had to be in the basement rehearsing. <laughs> so that was uh, interesting. And after that, I just, this is too much. I have to go literature. And then I had some literature and some Nordic uh, language. And after that, it was like uh, I had to decide what I was going to do. And that was when I was applying for the Music Academy. Okay. But it took two years after I'd started, I'd gone to the music. Even though I was there for two years first, I thought that I was going to be a music teacher or something else. But then something happened. I met this teacher called Jon Eberson, and he changed my life. Because he, until then I had a teacher that just played bebop. And he was really, really good. But uh, I I didn't think that I fixed what he was trying to learn me. So when I met this uh, other Jon Eberson, then uh, he kind of focused on very other things, chords and phrasings that I liked so much more. And he also made me think that we are we are working on music that is important for the world (laughs) and we are really uh, and he made me feel that i was really onto something i don't think he was right but he made me feel that way and that was the important thing he tricked me into (laughs) continuing i was watching your um nor interview from last year was this the teacher who you asked uh what if you? How do you feel if someone plays a wrong note or a wrong chord? I thought yes. this was great. Do you want to tell yeah, the story? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Because it, after I finished studying with him, I, was, I played with him. He was touring because he had his own group. So I, we had double guitars and we were touring around. And of course, it, at some point, something, someone plays a wrong note, or and I asked him one night, what what did he really think when that happened? Was he kind of annoyed or did he wish that he didn't, was it played right? Or And then he said that in 99% of the times when somebody plays a wrong note or does something that was not expected, that in the seconds that are coming now, something very, very interesting is going to happen musically. And he so he just kind of looked at it as it contributed to develop the music. Yeah, that's that made me. It's it's really wonderful. It's it's it made me feel even more comfortable in his band, if possible. Do you know the story about Herbie Hancock when he was playing with Miles, and something oh. like this happened? Uh, I forget yeah. what tour it was, and Herbie hit like a chord that he, he said he just cringed. And he wanted to crawl under his keyboard and hide, but Miles took a second, and then he played a phrase that made that wrong chord feel right. Mm. I think that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's very that's that was very caring of Miles. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you want somebody else to do when you play a wrong note. Somebody else play this too, please. Yeah. So let's let's get to your music and your new record, Echidna, mm-hmm. which in Greek mythology is a, a half woman, half snake who is the mother of all the monsters. 
They say so, yes. What? How do you come about choosing that title? I mean, we are. Uh, this is instrumental music, so it's really it's not about something, but mm. it's it's. I think it's very. Uh, I think it's fun to find to find titles uh, that fit, will fit with instrument, instrumental music that can give an ID or can kind of be a place where you can go into um, kind of a dualism between something you can uh, just kick your imagination going to 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 go into i mean what was nice with the echidna first thing is that it's nice to have something that is not too related to our presence because then it's kind of being political or or more moralistic or something mm. i mean if you call it save mother earth then it's kind of all about uh, one climate uh, thing but if but i think one of the th- uh, fun things with calling this something ancient is that it kind of takes it a little bit away and makes it a little bit more like an um, a storytelling thing and i really want it to be that way it's like an adult uh, storytelling <laughs> in a way but uh, so I just wanted something that could be a place where I could uh, <laughs> develop kind of some some evilness but also find the structure I mean she's half woman and half snake meaning it's not necessarily just half good half bad but it's those things that uh, with two kind of um, different forces fighting at once mm. which is uh, I can't it's probably the the eternal human struggle. Hmm. You you want to do good, but you can't because you're, I don't know, because you're human. I don't know. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to take care of what actually uh, makes us um, makes us able to live. It should be very easy, but it's so hard. So it's it's a little bit about that with the echidna. Okay. But it doesn't have to be like that because she's a snake and a half half snake half woman and that's just cool in itself you know yeah i was thinking half snake half woman for you does the snake apply to the guitar no the woman applies to the guitar and then i will be the snake no i'm just i'm i don't know i haven't (laughs) gone into that but i think yeah i feel i'm no this the guitar is not the snake i think i haven't thought about that once I started thinking about it, I was like, I wouldn't want to play a live snake, you know? No. Try and put strings on it would be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. But if you put it around the neck, then you could probably be safe. But we actually went to, we had a, um, a photo shoot at this reptile place in Oslo. But due to the corona, it was canceled. Of course. Ah. But they had a big, like, t- tiger boa, a white and yellow tiger boa. So we were supposed to take pictures with that one. I think that would be fun to pretend that was a guitar, but uh, I, I don't know how you say in snake language, please shape up like a guitar. I hope somebody does some great yeah. mystic. Now that you expanded your lineup for this record. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I did. No. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had some projects um, on the side of the trio, but this is the first one that is, has been recorded. So the idea was just that I wanted to make music for another, a bigger and another sounding ensemble. And I, I didn't want to make that, that different kind of music, but I wanted it to sound different. Hmm. 
Um, one of the most important things in the band, besides the guitar and the drums, is of course the bass, <laughs> the bass guitar. And uh, taking that away, you take away all those kind of parallel movements and the same frequencies. And if you have a piano, it's you have another way of hitting the tones right so if a piano plays the bass it will sound differently mm. not only because of the phrasing but also of the timbre of course it's it sounds different and also so that was just that was the way into that other uh to, to the not trio ensemble <laughs> i like that on on the trio stuff that it it is pretty much live in this it is live in the studio it is live in the studio which bring it back to van halen you, you don't it, that, you're supported by what the bass is doing. It's yeah, not, absolutely. Not like a guitar underneath. <laughs> mm. No, and we are not. We try not to dub things because then it would sound so much poorer when we play it live. So it will be disappointing. So that's the reason why I, we don't dub things. No? It would probably sound better in the on the record, but it would be much harder to make it sound like that live. Yeah. And of course, it's important that the, the shows are better than the. The records no i don't know we've just chosen to go that way to do it that way but uh, with echidna yeah so there it's just a different sound world but i think the music uh, on the echidna record could uh, the trio could finally play that it would just sound different when you play live how much is it how much do you stick to what the recording and how much do you improvise off the basic song structure with the trio it's it's quite open it has to be because we've worked so for such a long time and playing those songs for so many times that uh, we we try and we want it to kind of have some kind of let's uh, play the wrong note feeling because we don't want to go into this automation track. Mm. We want it to sound new and fresh. So we we try to play it as good as we can and as tough as we can. So it will be pretty much to the to the record, but the solo parts they can go very uh, different places. I mean, uh, solos that are very, very outgoing on the record might be very, very uh, like pianissimo or just another dynamic or it could be, yeah, another groove. Or we, So we try, we try to break it up when, uh, when we play it live. Mm. But I mean, those kind of things from the early records that are that where there are not that many solos like the, the Kathmandu, which is just riffs and no solos, that sounds the same. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the songs. A Stone's Throw. Oh, that's a killer riff. Thank you. <laughs> that... It's an A. <laughs> <laughs> you like A. <laughs> I mean, what guitarist doesn't like A? That's true. <laughs> like, we could never play that in A flat. I mean, it's impossible. So it's, that's one th important thing I try to think about when we make records that there are uh, several different keys and that there are not not two songs in drop D after each other like this. Uh, that is, I, th I try to think about that because th that kind of E, that kind of E uh, riff that uh, the, a stone's throw is. I mean, there are so many versions of that in the guitar world. Mm. But it's really, I think it's still, I think it's so much fun to play those kind of a open riffs, Jesus yeah. Lord, yeah. <laughs> and uh, is it Antillany? Is that how you say it? You know, I'm not sure how because I'm not sure how to pronounce it actually because it's just a, it's just a wordplay. It's 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 like um, it's not uh, oral. It's 
What do you say when you type it? I, 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 it's it's a written kind of wordplay with because antelope in in Norwegian, if you're going to say you know, do you say antelope? Okay, yeah. You know this kind of uh, animal. Yeah, antelope. Yeah, antelope. Yeah, in Norwegian you say antelope. And my daughter is called Luna. Ah. So switching that one letter means anti-Luna and an anti-Luna. And she's uh, in a kind of an age where she's pretty much an anti to everything. <laughs> so it's just a wordplay for for her, actually. Ah. But also but also kind of an antelope, antelope kind of way because that riff is also like very jumpy. It's like a frantic kind of boogie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Abs- yes, absolutely. And and the opening at the first yeah. my first thought was ACDC's Thunderstruck, that sort of thing. But you uh yeah, what's what's this with ACDC and you? I like I love ACDC. Ah, okay. I really love them. Yes, I love them. I'm I'm thinking about yes that would be uh, that is a great uh, reference and also the Black Sabbath opening ah oh I thought you were the thunder the rain and the thunder I love them I thought you didn't like my reference so I'm, I'm glad you did but I read I loved it it's fantastic I mean putting on a jazz record on 2020 and just ah I hear ACDC in this jazz rock that is a goal achieved <laughs> thank you so much oh, you are welcome. <laughs> And then um, slightly lighter because mm. a completely different direction. It's lovely. It might be my favorite track on the record. Oh, thank you so much. That yeah. is very inspired by, I think that is, that is of course, and obviously very inspired by the jazz version of me hmm. and the chords and the melody and the simpleness. Yes. And I think it's really important when you work with, with those kinds of riff and those kinds of uh, improvisational spaces that you have those kind of places to go doesn't make it just wood 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 but also a little bit of water or lightning uh, not lightning but you you know when you walk in the woods and then you suddenly there's an open place hmm. which makes everything it puts everything into another kind of setting yeah yeah i love the movement of it just is very open one leaf left starts off like that and then mm-hmm. you just freak out at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice because that was the last part of it. This was this was originally a commissioned work. So when I made this music, I had the live setting in mind. And it's I think it's really, really nice to end off or I have to end off a gig kind of somewhere in that top uh, 80-90% place. Hmm. Because then or else it's not it doesn't feel like fulfilled but still it it was very i wanted it to end with that with that song because that was too emotional to have uh, f- further up in the set i think hmm. so we, i had to fix that some way how can i get from that that kind of calm emotional go into yourself and think really through what you just did uh, kind of sp- uh, space and but still go into a kind of frenzy outburst take what all i have ish kind of mode and and that it would still kind of hang together musically so that was just that 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 last part was just 
testing how we could how I could come to that kind of channeling. So have you played this live? Yeah, several record? times. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. We played it. Uh, we played it live two times before we recorded it, and then we played it live uh, the same week as we recorded it. And now in June we have played it twice in Oslo and once in a jazz festival in s- southern Norway. That's still happening. I didn't know live music was going Norway, on. Norway, <laughs> Norway, live music is going on. Wow. Okay. Yes, that's it, it, that is just uh, absolutely fantastic. The there are no um, uh, yesterday they opened the borders for some lands in Europe to come travel here without doing quarantine. So we'll see how this goes, but until now it's been uh, everybody's very cautious of course, but uh, we have been playing uh, shows with like 1 meter apart from people. Mm. And uh not more than 200 people gathered. Wow. At the same time, I can't wait till I go can go to a live show again. I so wish that you get there soon because it feels absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and this week, I'm working on this new project in another city. I was, I mean, I'm staying at a hotel, which seems kind of nostalgic because it's been so long <laughs> since I did, did that. And we're working on a uh, on music. I mean, we're working on music that I've made during this Corona time. With we are eleven people on stage. And it feels uh, I'm kind of in a constant, really, really, really happy mood just because we are together working with music or with other people in the same room. It's I'm getting emotional. It's really, really nice. Yeah. Mm. So what's the future looking like? What are your plans? The future like tomorrow or the next year? No. Yeah. yeah. This On Saturday, we're playing at this project on a festival. And then there is a summer vacation for me, as for most of other musicians in Norway, ah. because there is everything. Most of the things are cancelled, and the clubs. But the, I think the clubs will start up again in the autumn, at least some of them. But we will not tour. We 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 were planning. We had a tour that was going to happen in the fall, but we are uh, postponing it to next year, of course. Hmm. So instead, we are going into studio. We will. We were going into studio anyway, but with the trio is going into studio in September, recording new materials coming out in first thing in 2021. And then I'm also touring with some other things in Norway that because the clubs can do 50 capacity shows or maybe 200 capacity shows, and then things can still go on. And the government here is really taking care of the musicians and making sure that they are being can still can work with music. Oh, that's great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, excellent. That's all my questions. Do you have anything else you want to add? Mm, what do you... Th- what do You didn't mention... Um, oh, right now I can't remember his name. The guitarist in Rush. How Alex Lifeson? Alex Lifeson. What do you think about Alex Lifeson? I realized this year that so much of my melodic sense and what I like comes from his suspended chords. Uh, my older cousins loved them when I was growing up. So when I when I was probably five or six, I got moving pictures, and just mm. some of those songs had a huge influence on me that I didn't realize till years later that, that my sensitive melody is a lot is tied up a lot in his playing. What do you think of Alex Lifeson? I love him. Yeah, I love his playing, and I think that band also is is just a very fascinating organism. 
being because they make so extremely strange music. <laughs> yes. And they seem to be so. Uh, I mean, they're a, re- a really, really big band that kind of really cares for the music rather than it's. I don't know if this is right, but I think they make so corny music. But in every every song, there is a riff or a melody or a hook or a line or something that is absolutely genius. Mm. And they are so happy and sweet with each other. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about him just for a second before we hung up because I just like I like them. Good. I didn't know that. Mm. Anyone else you want to mention? Let me see. Uh, we haven't talked about Tadja Riptal either. Do you, are you familiar with him? He's a Norwegian guitarist that was very active uh, on the on the jazz scene in the 70s, 80s. I am unaware. Uh, Please tell me. Oh, my. You, yeah. He was a... There he, Tadja Riptal recorded uh, a lot of ECM records, especially those from the uh, one from 85 that is called uh, The Chaser. That is uh, really, really uh, close to what the trio is, uh, the nerve that the trio is trying to hit. What? What's his name? Tarja Riptal. How do you spell Very it? Very many of uh, English-speaking people say Turge, Turge ah. Riptal, but it's Tarja Riptal. He played with Miroslav Vitus and uh, Jack oh. Dejanet and... Um, Oh, I, wow. I will send you his name like in letters so you can check him out. <laughs> Please do. I'm, I'm very you will love it. If you love those kind of A-riffs, he's got the most fantastic A-riff uh, maybe in the world that the world doesn't know about. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, so much, so much for having me. All right. I really enjoyed that conversation, man. I hope you did too. And it's rad that I got a chance to speak with Hedvig right after discovering what awesome music she makes. Check it out. Like I said, there's a whole bunch up on SoundCloud. And the new record, Echidna, is out now on Rune Gramophone Records. And Southpaw News, there's plenty of stuff over at YoungSouthpaw.com. I just put up a new story on the Young Southpaw Part of an Hour podcast. It's about if, you know... What if instead of the 1982 World Cup final having been West Germany versus Italy, that the winner of that match then went on to play Van Halen? I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, you know. I'm on TikTok now, too, and there's a whole bunch of stuff over on my YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, y'all. I hope you enjoyed this. And if you're digging these episodes, please rate and review the podcast, you know, on the sites and share it, you know. So thanks, y'all. And I'm going to leave you now with a stone's throw from Hedvig's new album, Echidna. Man, this riff is so good, it could have been on Van Halen, too. (laughs) 